So any of these oat milks on the market that are not organic or glyphosate free are then this highly poisonous pesticide drink. And it's just not talked about enough. And it's really dangerous. And beyond it being dangerous for us to consume, we have to think bigger picture. Think about the farmers farming the fields and their families. Think about the community that lives around the the fields and the contamination to their air, their water, their land. Then you have to look at that and talk about it from an environmental level. And we talk about the sustainability of plant-based milk. Like I said, there's a lot of gray areas because if it's a non-organic crop, especially that gets irrigated and all that water is washing back into the ocean or back into other water sources, it's incredibly dangerous. Welcome to the Clean Body Podcast. I'm Lauren Kelly, a certified nutrition therapist and soon to be specialized holistic cancer coach with a certification in cancer biology from UC Berkeley. I am so grateful that you're here. This podcast introduces you to the souls and brains behind some of the cleanest food, beverage, and lifestyle products on the market. Because what you put on, in, and around your body matters. From cookies, bread, and mushroom superfoods, to adaptogenic lozenges, clean medicines, organic mattresses, and fluoride-free toothpastes, we'll explore how the brands came to be, how scientific studies drove decisions about ingredients and materials, and most importantly, how the products support all the physical and mental microscopic miracles that occur in your body every minute of every day. Thank you for being here. Let's get this started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of the Clean Body Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Kelly, and I know I say this every week, but I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode. I honestly, it's one of my favorites. And if you drink plant-based milk, you need to be listening to it because the fact is there's a lot of crap in plant-based milk. There's added sugars, there are natural flavors which can be made from hundreds of different compounds. There are often glyphosates used on oat milk um, to grow and treat the oats which we dig into why that's bad during the episode. There are just chemicals, canola oils that cause inflammation, fillers that you don't need. So Today, I'm talking to the founder of a company called Good Milk Co., Brooke Harris. Brooke actually had a firsthand experience of digestive and health issues, which ended up being rooted in eating preservative-filled foods, including dairy alternatives. She was always a fan of the vegan movement, and she really didn't start questioning what she was putting into her body until her body was responding in negative ways. I think it's a really enlightening episode and just really important for everyone because even going to coffee shops, most coffee shops use really processed milks and every once in a while, sure, it's not that bad. But if you're getting a coffee every single day with oat milk, that's going to build up and it's going to create inflammation in your body that you don't want. So this episode is just packed full with information If you like it, please review, rate, subscribe. You can learn more about Good Milk at goodmilk.co. That is milk, M-Y-L-K. And that's all the time I'm going to take with this intro. So let's jump into it. Brooke, welcome to the Clean Body Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. Good Milk is doing a really cool thing, really cool things and multiple things and disrupting the milk industry in a way that nobody else is doing, which I think is so cool and unique. And I'm really excited to get to it because a lot of the listeners and a lot of my followers probably aren't familiar with the brand yet. So it's kind of this big like, hurrah, surprise, meet a really cool brand. (laughs) Yeah. But before we start talking about um, Good Milk Co. and everything you currently have and have coming up, I would love to just kind of hear your health journey. I know you've had kind of this personal experience getting into the health and wellness world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my, my journey is constantly evolving. And I think that that's how it should be. You know, as we evolve and learn more, we, we can adjust. Um, but it started when I first moved to LA and I was working in the, the film and TV industry. And, um, you know, it's just a super hectic, chaotic industry, like, like most of the industries in LA are, um, and was just going constantly, constantly Mm -hmm. driving awake, moving, um, you know, running errands for my boss. Um, and I was plant-based. I, I came to LA as a vegan. 
became a vegetarian when I was a kid at the age of 12. Um, I actually grew up on a dairy farm. My grandparents had a dairy farm, and so I fell in love with animals. Um, and so that's what kind of triggered my my plant-based movement at a young age when no one else in my, you know, even in the in the county was 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 doing that. Um, but I was living this super hectic, fast-paced lifestyle, plant-based, um, thought that that meant I was healthy and doing the right things, and um, started to have some really major digestive issues to the point where I'd have to like pull over on the 405 um, because I'd have such bad cramps that I couldn't even like hold my body up while I was mm. driving um, and would start missing days at work. And it was like, no matter what I ate, if it was, you know, I could eat like a big meal or a small meal, or I could have a smoothie or I could have something that's harder to digest, no matter what it was, it made me sick. And so spent a year like kind of trying to figure it out on my own, kind of trying to ignore it. <laughs> then another year going to all these doctors, trying to figure out what the heck was going on. So it's like, okay, this is this is serious. This is really impacting my life. Um, at the end of it, no one had any answers. Walked away with kind of a, a BS diagnosis of um, IBS, which, you know, <laughs> means something, but also means nothing. And there's no medicine. There's no nothing comes along with that. It's just like, okay, you have to live with this. And that was a, a real bummer and really unempowering. And, um, you know, it, it just, it just made me feel really small and really out of control. And I didn't have control over my own life. And so a few days later I was hiking and I know you lived in LA, so, you know, Runyon Canyon, um, very like, LA hiking spot like this I don't hike it this way but a lot of people hike it like dolled up um, because you see celebs <laughs> um, um, so in an, in another LA moment hiking Runyon and um, talking with a girlfriend about she was going to do a cleanse and so we were just talking giving each other advice and a woman who was in front of us um, turned around and was like hey I just wanted to stop you girls and let you know you're giving each other really great advice like I usually hear some crazy things when it comes to cleansing turned out she was a holistic nutritionist um, I didn't even know what holistic nutritionists were at the time. She was the first one I'd heard of or met. And so I booked an appointment with her, sat down with her for 45 minutes. And she was like, cool, here's what's going on. Um, you have candida overgrowth, which now a lot of people know what that is. And it was triggered by processed foods and you need to cut out all the processed foods you're eating. And I was like, no, no, no. I think you, you missed the part where I said I'm, I'm plant-based. Um, you know, I'm, I'm eating, I'm, I'm healthy. And she was like, go home, take a look at the packages of food that you're consuming, and then tell me, tell me how you feel about that statement. And so I did. And, you know, no surprise that like the burgers and chicken patties and all the, those fake things um, had a bunch of weird ingredients in them. But I was really surprised about my almond milk. Um, you know, I was surprised one, it's marketed. As, as healthy and good for you and certainly better for you than dairy. Um, the marketing on the front of the package didn't match what I was seeing on the back of the package. Um, on the nutrition label, the ingredients that I didn't recognize really any of them other than like the, you know, almonds obviously were in there. But as a vegan, I knew that almonds and nuts, I would eat them a lot because they had a lot of protein and healthy fats. And when I looked at the nutrition panel, like there was one gram of protein in a whole serving of almond milk made no sense to me. And then the fact that it was a liquid and could sit in my cupboard for two years at a time, like, okay, this should, all these things should have been a red flag, but because of the marketing, I just didn't even think to look, I just assumed like many people do plant-based just meant better, meant that it was healthier for you. And so I cut out all the processed foods. I Googled how to make homemade almond milk, started making it for myself. And literally within three days, felt like a new person um, from cutting out processed plant-based foods. And um, the almond milk, like beyond the nutrition um, piece, once I tasted homemade almond milk, I don't know, have you ever had like a homemade plant-based milk before? No, I haven't. It. I mean, I've like researched it and it doesn't seem like it's really all that hard to do, but it takes time. It takes commitment in order to do it. That's the problem. It's it's not hard, but it takes time and it's messy. Um, and then it's gone. Like you make it, you've done all this work to make it, and then it's like gone really quickly because it's so delicious. Um, but once I tasted it, I was like, oh my God, the stuff that I was buying before at the store 
that's that's not food. Obviously, that's chemicals. Like the taste is so different. Um, and so kind of coming to the conclusion that you came to, I was like, this is amazing. However, imagine having a kid or two that you're trying to feed this to and the time that it takes, the mess that it makes. It is actually expensive to source the ingredients, get a, you know, you need like a really good quality um, blender for it, the cheesecloth, like there's no way a busy mom is, is doing this. Um, so it's like, maybe if I'm having this problem, there's some people in the community that want it. And that's when I started selling at the local farmer's market, selling fresh bottles of homemade plant-based milk. Well, so that is like uh, the, just the beginning of your story, really. Um, I think it's incredible. And you're so right that you said so many things that kind of put a light bulb in my brain for me. First of all, saying when you tried your own fresh almond milk, it tasted so different than when you were getting at the grocery store. I think that is just apparent like across you know, all categories. And sometimes it the all natural or cleanest version actually doesn't taste as good because your brain is is used to other chemicals that are being put in the food to tell you it tastes good. Um, but I think that's such a great point. And especially, you know, about people not having the time necessarily to be making these products. And um, that's why I love what Good Milk is doing. And what a lot of the companies that I'm interviewing on this podcast are doing is they're making health more accessible, which health should be accessible for everybody. But you started selling at the farmer's market and I know then you wanted to scale. And this is kind of where your story takes an interesting turn um, because you're no longer selling like cold milk in a bottle. You're selling this frozen. I don't I'm going to let you explain it because I don't want to explain it incorrectly. But (laughs) tell me about that next journey and wanting to scale Good Milk Co. and the products that you have and the adventure you had to go on to figure out how to do it. Oh, it's it's still an adventure, trust me, <laughs> <laughs> um, every day. Um, but you're exactly right. We were selling at the farmer's market and selling the fresh product. I, you know, once you start selling, you can't make it at home. So I luckily had a friend who had a commercial kitchen that would let me rent, rent from it. So I was making it in these, the commercial kitchen, bringing it to the market, selling out every single week. Um, but it was a product that had a five-day shelf life. And so that's not scalable at all. Um, But we had started to gain some traction, one, just in our direct customers, but also we had started to work with coffee shops. And so we had, we were making a barista blend for Blue Bottle, all of their locations in LA, um, La Colombe, um, a a handful of other really cool local coffee shops, and um, got to a point where it was like, okay, this is not... Just to, like, I've kind of proven my point that there's people in the community that want this product. It's working. Our coffee shop partners love it. And they would take it, you know, Blue Bottle has cafes in San Francisco, New York, Boston. Um, a lot of our partners had cafes other places, but we couldn't get the product to them because of the short shelf life. And so that's when I was like, okay, this is the moment where you either, you know, I'm either hustling at the farmer's market every single weekend and like, you know, just making enough money to scrape by. And that's like as big as we go, or we take the next step and figure out how to, how to scale this thing. And, you know, my ambitions, like once I started seeing how the community reacted, it was almost like this, like you know, just pouring fuel on the fire of my passion of wanting to help people and empower them, um, you know, because of my journey. And it was like, okay, if I can see this reaction on my customers, my local community, which by the way, LA probably isn't the most in need community of a product like this, right? There's places that just don't have, like there's juice shops in LA where you can go buy fresh milk if you wanted to. Um, it's a great place to start, but there's communities that need a product like this way more than than the LA community. And so that's where I kind of got the itch to be like, man, if I could service a much bigger community and solve these problems for way more people. And my family that's, you know, in the middle of nowhere in New York state, if they could walk into their grocery store and buy this off the shelves, like, and have this as an option, um, how amazing would that be? And so the problem big. I love it. <laughs> um, the problem was, though, I didn't want to compromise the liquid. So if you look at, or if you go to the store and, and buy any of the alt milks in the store, they are 99% of them have additives, preservatives, you know, binders, gums, fillers, chemicals to one, make them shelf stable, make them a cheaper product, um, 
make them kind of what you touched on earlier, taste a certain way on people's palates. Um, but a lot of it comes down to needing to extend the shelf life. And I knew there was no way I was going to go that route. I wasn't going to put out a product that I wouldn't consume myself and I wasn't touching that stuff. Um, so I was like, okay, what are the options to extend the shelf life and not compromise the liquid? Um, I started to look into freezing and I was like, okay, that's potentially possible. And then that led me down the rabbit hole of um, blast freezing or flash freezing. And that's something they do a lot with ice cream or baked goods. Um, never done with, with alternative milk before, but um, as I started to read about it, I was like, okay, cool. It like literally freezes, it's incredibly low temperature. So it freezes really quickly, um, which means it doesn't impact the nutritional value and it doesn't add any ice crystals because what we didn't want was the product to be diluted or taste different at the end. And freezing is, you know, nature's oldest preservative. Um, it's been around long before chemical preservatives were. Um, so it made sense in my head. Um, I was really lucky that I had a, a girlfriend at the time who owned an ice cream, a uh, coconut ice cream shop in Venice. And she had a tiny little blast freezer that she would let me come in after hours when they weren't using it and test in. And so I'd like take coconut bottles, drink the coconut water bottles, drink the coconut water, and then put milk in them and, and test them and then pass them out to my friends to have them thaw and taste it and tell me if it tasted right. I feel like this needs to be a movie. Like I'm just seeing you like sneak into this ice cream shop in the middle of the night and like flash freeze this like experiment science lab thing going on. <laughs> You know, you just have to do. And like, lucky for me, I was able to test the idea before because blast freezers start at like $20,000. So it's not like I could be like, cool, let me buy some equipment and see if this idea works and then launch it. Like I, it was all kind of a guess and we didn't know the packaging. I knew that I didn't want to do, um, so Tetra packs is what like all the, like the boxes that alt milk comes in, um, most of them, um, and I knew that I didn't want to do those because they're, you know, they they make a lot of claims, but they're not really recyclable here in the U.S. Um, they have to be recycled in a really special way. Some facilities take them, but then China buys them from them, and then they get shipped across the overseas to China. And then a lot of times they don't buy them, and they just end up going into the landfill. I was like, that's not really in line. And so I didn't even know the, the packaging we were we were going to use. I just knew this freezing thing works. Um, in theory, and in kind of in testing, I talked to some of the coffee shops and had them test it too, and had them steam it and you know play with it in in the behind the bar and see how it worked. And they were like, "Yeah, this seems to work." And that's when I was like, "Okay, this is what I'm I'm putting my money on." And we, I went out and raised funds for the first time from investors on this idea with this you know packaging that I had in mind but had no idea if it was going to work because you have to order 10,000 units from China in order to test it um so it was like looking back in the moment it all made sense and I had no doubt that it was going to work but looking back I'm kind of like holy shit like I actually um had no reason to believe this was fully going to work I had no proof um it was all just kind of these ideas and we we raised and we're able to buy the blast freezer. We're able to buy the packaging um, and launched our first frozen products in June of 2018. Now, when you're saying we, I'm just imagining a party of one. So who is this we that you keep saying? Um, we, it's something founders say to make themselves feel better a lot of time. Um, <laughs> but I do have a team and some of my original team members from that time are still with me. So, um, you know, my husband's very much involved in the company now. And even then he had to be to like help pick up the slack a little bit. So we, you know, and I, I will be honest when I took this idea to my team, they thought it was crazy. They were like, there has to be another way besides frozen almond milk. Um, and I was just really adamant about it. It was one of those moments in life where I just like, you know, call it intuition or whatever it is. I just knew that it was going to work. And I remember when the packets finally came in, you know, I, we call the team meeting and I remember sitting there in front of them and I'm not really an emotional person as far as like, cr like I'd never cried in front of any of them for any reason. And I just like cried telling them like mm. this is Sure. And they're all looking at me like I'm a psychopath. <laughs> um, and they still think I'm crazy for sure. But um, they're, they're good with this idea. 
So let's rewind a little bit and go back to just what options were currently on the shelves. There was, of course, full dairy milk, which there's a lot of controversy around dairy. I know some holistic nutritionists don't believe that humans should drink it at all. Um, Mm -hmm. Cow's milk was not made for humans. It was made for baby cows. Um, And some people believe that dairy, if you don't have an intolerance to it, is okay as long as you're getting it from healthy cows and, and sustainably sourced. And I always say every body is different. Um, so the way, you know, my body interacts with dairy is going to be the different than your body interacts with dairy. So it's kind of your own personalized journey. But during your journey um, to figuring out your own health and wellness, what were some things that you learned about both dairy milk and the alternative milk products that really shocked you? Well, for me, growing up on a dairy farm, we would, my, my grandparents would bring up buckets of milk from the farm. Like it came out of the cow and it came up to the house and my grandma would scrape the cream off and like make something, you know, something for breakfast with it. And we just had fresh milk. I personally never liked the taste of milk. We were we also where we grew up. And I don't know if this is a thing of the like nineties or if this was the area, but you had to have a glass of milk with dinner. Like our, my, my parents forced us to have milk with dinner and I just never liked the way it tasted. And so I'd always wait until the end of dinner to drink mine, which was, I don't know why I never learned the lesson because then it would be like lukewarm milk. Oh no. (laughs) And chug it, chug down the glass. And that's the only way I get, be let down from the table. Um, So I never loved dairy milk. I did love ice cream. I did love cheese. Like, you know, I have a a human palate, like (laughs) who doesn't love this milk. Um, But when I became... When I went to college, actually, I went to school in San Francisco in my freshman year. And that I had already been, I was already pretty far down the vegetarian path and started to learn about being vegan um, and thought it was just the coolest thing ever. And at this time, vegan was like, there were not vegan restaurants. There were not like, you know, it was, if you were vegan, you were making your own food or eating like lettuce. Um, and I wrote a, pa- a 20 page paper for one of my classes about um, so- soy milk was the big thing soy milk versus dairy milk and why soy milk was so much better. My mother was like, don't you ever show this to your grandma. (laughs) But through that, I learned about the processing of milk, which I just wasn't exposed to as a kid because we, you know, of course we shipped, my family shipped milk off to the Bayer companies, but we didn't have processed milk. Um, Learned about the processing of it, learned about sick cows that are overfed grains, that leads to all kinds of inflammation, all kinds of inflammations and infection in their bodies, and they're pumped with antibiotics, pumped with hormones to produce milk longer. Um, it's a pretty, you know, in, in factory farmed dairy milk is a pretty um, gross industry, and that's why they had to pasteurize it because it's this milk milk coming from sick cows that <laughs> obviously would make people sick, and so they pasteurize it, kill everything. You know, there's been a raw milk movement, at least we've seen in, in California. And I think that, I think there's something to be said for that. I, I don't know where I stand on like milk is not for humans. I personally don't, you know, consume, consume milk. If I have cheese, it's raw cheese and try and keep it to a minimum. Um, I do but love I raw cheese. Are, yeah, raw I think there are people really who <laughs> it is. I mean, I gave up cheese for, I gave up all dairy for years. And the first time I had a piece of raw cheese, I was like, oh my God. But I think my personal philosophy on food is eat as much unprocessed food as you want. If you're going to eat something that's processed or not good for you, like as long as you understand that and you're like consciously making the choice, great. You know, if you have a treat, I had a, my husband and I walked to the bakery this morning and I had a croissant obviously there's, you know, sugar and processed things in there. Um, it's a treat. And if I was feeling guilt over that or stressed about it, I probably would feel terrible, but he didn't. It's a treat. It's a once, you know, once in a while thing. And I, I feel totally fine. So I think there's, we try and make these hard and fast rules with the food and we need to be a little bit gentler on ourselves. Um, but there's a huge difference between processed dairy and raw dairy. I think. So if you're on the side of wanting to consume dairy, I would really look into the different options. And then in 
plant-based milks. Um, you know, personally, it's something I'm incredibly passionate about and a little bit like aggressive about because I think that these plant-based milk companies get away with so much in marketing and just by being plant-based and standing on kind of that platform and also the platform of sustainability, um, which is also a major gray area. Um, but when you peel back one layer of what's in these plant-based milks, you realize they're full of chemicals that are not only not healthy for you, but incredibly harmful, causing inflammation, causing digestive issues, causing skin issues. Most of them on the market aren't organic, which for some reason is something that isn't really talked about that much. So not only are you getting the gums, the binders, the preservatives that are in there, you're getting a heavy dose of chemicals. And one of the things that's really crazy with oat milk becoming so popular is oats especially um, so glyphosates are used in, in it's, it's a pesticide that's used on most crops, but with oats, it's used in growing the crop. And then it's used right before they harvest it. They spray another thick layer of glyphosates on the field to kill the oats and dry them out faster, to kill them, dry them faster so that they can take them to harvest faster. So literally days before you're getting oats that are going to be made into a concentrated oat milk, they're covered in glyphosates. So any of these oat milks on the market that are not organic or glyphosate free are then this highly poisonous pesticide drink. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just not talked about enough. And it's really dangerous. And beyond it being dangerous for us to consume, we have to think bigger picture. Think about the farmers farming the fields and their families. Think about the community that lives around the, the fields and the contamination to their air, their water, their land. And so when you talk about, then you have to look at that and talk about it from an environmental level. And we talk about the sustainability of plant-based milk. Like I said, there's a lot of gray areas because if it's non-organic, you're doing, you know, and it's a, a crop that gets irrigated, a non-organic crop, especially that gets irrigated and all that water's washing back into the ocean or back into to other water sources, like it's incredibly dangerous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm so grateful that there's been this huge movement to plant-based dairy, but I think that um, we need to be smarter. It's a category that we really need to be educated on and understand the facts because it's not like it's a soda, like a healthier soda or healthier snack that you're having once in a while. It's a staple in most people's homes, especially if you have kids who are having cereal or smoothies or you're having a coffee every morning with it. Um, you know, it's something you're consuming daily for me in a plant-based household. You know, we go through a quart every two days. Like that's, that's a lot of product. And for something that could be contaminated with, you know, carcinogens and inflammatory um, ingredients, like that's actually very dangerous to your health. Yeah, I do want to just pause there for a second and talk about those pesticides a little bit um, because people can buy organic produce, um, fruits and vegetables and think that they are not really getting pesticides in their diet. But like you said, like growing oats, it's used in actually growing the oats and processing them and getting them ready faster to be put up on a shelf. And I think it's important to point out why pesticides. I've gotten a lot of questions from friends and from clients like, is organic really that much better? So the, the flip side of that question is, are pesticides really that bad? And I think it's important to highlight, even just for a moment, that pesticides, what they do when you consume them, they cause a hormonal imbalance. So pesticides can actually mimic certain hormones and bind to your receptors so that your normal hormone function can't be happening. And that happens primarily with thyroid, um, a dream, which is, you know, directly correlated with energy levels and weight loss or weight gain, even your cognitive function, your adrenal glands, which is extremely important hormone production for managing your mood, um, your energy levels, um, the way you can deal and handle stress, something I haven't been good at this week. And um, three, your reproductive hormones, you know, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, um, pesticides have been shown to decrease the the count and the quality of sperm in men. Um, and progesterone is incredibly important for um, anti-inflammatory compounds. And it the estrogen protects the actual um, structure of the brain. And so it's been shown that like estrogen deficiency has an impact on Alzheimer's later in life. And so when you're filling your body 
you know, unknowingly to you with pesticides on a daily basis. Your body can excrete, you know, some chemical compounds here and there when you have a treat. But if you're doing it every day, time and time again, at every single meal, all of that is going to build up and it's going to cause a lot of hormonal imbalance in your body. Absolutely. And I, I love it when people are like, are they really that bad? And it's like, if you could avoid something that could potentially cause cancer or cause illness to you, why wouldn't you just avoid it? You know? Um, okay. This is safe in small doses, but in larger doses, it would cause cancer. Like, cool. I'll just stay away from that altogether. And the other sad thing is that even if you are eating hundred percent organic, because there's so much non-organic food produce out there, there's still a chance. Like if you got tested for glyphosates or pesticides, there's still a chance you'd have some in your system because mm-hmm. of the cross-contamination. So um, I think eating organic is absolutely worth it. The really unfortunate part, and you know, I don't fully know how, how long it will take to t- change this, but the unfortunate part is it's far more expensive. Our organic almonds cost three times the amount that non-organic almonds cost. Yeah. Um, You know, when we look at how do we get pricing down so we can pass that along to the customer, the easy answer would be buy non-organic almonds. You can get them for $2 a pound. And it's like, I just can't, can't do that. Um, especially knowing that we're putting a concentrated amount in our, our milks and it's like, well, you you wouldn't drink it. So you want (laughs) to, exactly. Um, so I think the topic of organic is, is incredibly important. I know it's like, it kind of had its, its light a few years ago and then it's, it's been a little bit less of a conversation lately, but, um, if you, and a lot of reasons that people are doing plant-based is because they care about the environment. Um, so if you don't care about how it's impacting your health, you don't care about how it's impacting the farmer's health, like non-organic foods have a massive detrimental impact on the environment. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of like you were saying too, like we need to become educated about these brands that are coming out and they're trying to market themselves as healthy because we have to know that anytime a health trend is going to start, people who want money are going to jump on that opportunity and create something to make money. And so, you know, I had, I was with a friend a couple weeks ago and she mentioned her favorite dairy alternative brand. And I was like, so do you want me to ruin it for you? Or do you not want me to ruin it for you? (laughs) In my life, I'm always like, okay, you're going to either hate me after this conversation. Yeah. And it's even hard going to coffee shops, you know, and you're trying to pick a milk and I'm like, well, what kind of, oat milk do you use? What's the brand? Can I see the box? And my husband's like, oh dear God, just get black. Just get black coffee. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, I'm that way too. And now luckily we have enough coffee shops using good milk that I, I don't ever have to go to one that isn't. And we have our powdered product too, that you can carry in your purse. But, um, yeah, always asking. And and the answer is never good enough. So I always walk away with like nothing, a tea or. Mm-hmm. You know. And I love that your product is so um, good for on the go. Like you said, you can have the product, like the package right in your purse, because I'm always taking these little containers of like milk with me everywhere. <laughs> if I think I'm going to get a drink somewhere and that's uh, just strange, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, thing to do. You know, yeah. It is in my world. It's normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so let's talk a little bit then um, about the process of making good milk. So just to drive it home, because people listening, I can't show like an image. This is like a flash dried product. So it's kind of like a powder. So it, right. It looks kind of like a powder in a package. I'm going to see if I, what I have on me desk um we have two versions we have a powder and then we have a frozen liquid so mm. i'll show you oh i'll show you a product that isn't out yet oh um, but this is not what this is this size i'm going to show you is what our cafes get it's not what um customers get they get a smaller size but so the frozen comes in these cool little packets um this is a cafe size so it's bigger um it comes literally as like a frozen brick of concentrated almond milk liquid mm-hmm. almond cafes or if you're at home you can um you thought add put it in a container add water give it a stir you don't need to blend it or anything like that and you have a bottle of fresh homemade plant-based milk um so that was the first concept the frozen concept we launched that that worked but i was like man similar to you if i'm on the go or traveling like 
Probably not going to carry a frother around with me. <laughs> I still can't have my product that's frozen or liquid. Like I want to, you know, when I'm on vacation, I want to be able to have this product. And so we looked at the market and said, wow, there's no clean ingredient plant-based milk um, powders out there or creamers, which is how we we launched just the market and, and went to work. Uh, spending a lot of money and time on R&D and creating the first plant clean ingredient plant-based milk creamer. So we started with um, our almond and it turns out it's really hard to turn um, milky, high protein, high fat product into powder without adding multidextrin or some other weird thing. But we figured it out after a lot of work and some proprietary information around it. And we launched our almond creamer. And just a few months ago, you and I were talking about this via email, we had a breakthrough and we're launching two new products. So we basically now can turn any of our milks into a powder. And so we're turning our super oat milk into a powder. Um, and um, our almond, we're, we're launching two new products. And I, I think by the time this comes out, they'll have officially launched, um, but our activated creamers. And so they're powdered creamers that mix in steam, foam, taste really great or creamy, but we've added um, a few adaptogens and mushrooms to them. So with every scoop, you get not only the creamy, delicious milkiness, but you get this extra boost of, you know, we're kind of the the vibes we're going for, like youth, longevity and, and vibrancy to kind of kick off your day. So you are not the first brand that I've talked to you about adaptogens because adaptogens are just getting so hot right now. And I think for very valid reasons, but I'm curious what adaptogens and mushrooms you're specifically focusing on so that you can create those vibes you just listed. Huge fan of adaptogens. I've been using them before they were cool. Like I always loved this <laughs> idea of like maximizing the nutrient um, density of everything you were consuming. And so remember back in the day, ch- like trying to explain chaga to people. And now it's like my mom knows what chaga is, which is great. <laughs> um, so we are using um, tocotrienols, which is really great for skin, um, high in vitamin K. We're using um, lion's mane, really great for, for mental cognition, um, memory. My favorite um, adaptogen, um, astragalus, which is great for youth, longevity. Um, I think they even call it like the youth herb or the anti-aging herb, um, Mm -hmm. an adaptogen, and then um, a mushroom called reishi. Real quick break here. If you want to learn more about adaptogens, as I mentioned, we have done a number of episodes where we dig quite deep into the science and powers of adaptogens. So you can get more information by listening to episode three with Dr. Sandra Carter from Ohm Mushrooms, episode four with Elisa Pospikova, the founder of Kind Root, an adaptogenic lozenge brand, or episode eight, where we talk to the founders of Droplet, an adaptogenic functional drink. Here's a little sneak peek from episode four that explains to you what adaptogens are now, just in case you weren't sure. Adaptogens is just this really amazing class of herbs that are non-specific to your body, and they're essentially helping you fight or they, they support your system and able to sort of bring down the levels of stress, which I think stress and this whole adrenal fatigue is what kind of influences so much of the diseases and so much of the unwellness that we're seeing. Let's get back to the interview with Brooke. So you're all about sourcing. So I'm curious how you, I, I'm just amazed at like how, um, nutrient packed you're trying to make this product and also trying to keep the price down so that people can actually access it. So how do you do your sourcing for these mushrooms and these adaptogens? So this was this was really important and thank you for asking because a lot of people don't realize that there there's a huge difference in mushroom sources especially um we we found a really great company and so we source the what they call the fruiting body so kind of what would be above the above ground part of the mushroom. And that's supposed to be um, one of the most pure, but it's also the most functional. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of mushroom sources. So a lot of times mushrooms have to grow on like oak or wheat or some kind of other plant. And a lot of times they'll just take that whole plant along with the mushroom and grind it into the reishi powder or the lion's mane powder. So you're actually with every spoonful, you're actually getting just as much like oat or whatever the corn or whatever the plant is that you are the mushroom powder. And it's, it's essentially dilutes it. Mm. You ever see a mushroom powder that's like, like a reishi, for example, should be like 
almost dirt color, like really, really dark. If you ever see a reishi that's not that dark, that means they're like grinding the uh, the oat straw or whatever else in with it. And it's going to be way less effective. And then if you you know, think you're getting reishi and you had like a grain allergy or an oat sensitivity, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that this is, might actually be causing you a little bit of harm because it has oat in it. So that was really important for us to find a great source. Um, and with finding a great source, it's also a very expensive source. Um, but luckily it's so powerful that you don't need a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, so we found a great source for all of our adaptions that we're really, really excited and the mushrooms that we're really excited about. Um, so every scoop will be, we designed it, you know, I personally like to micro, like kind of microdose with my adaptogens um, and have them in a few different parts of my day and um, like kind of just let it build up over time. And so we design it so you could have one scoop and that's like a great microdose and that you'll still feel the benefits or you can have three scoops and that's kind of like your, your full dose for the day. So as I'm thinking about it, just like we say scoops, you know, powders and flash frozen, and it's kind of like making this reminiscent texture in my mouth of protein powders. So for people that are listening, what is the texture of the product? Is there a right and a wrong way of like mixing it or, um, and then what is that like actual end result? Texture. So I think we put it in a format that's really easy. You know, people have been using powdered creamers for a long time. They mm-hmm. understand that. So we launched them as creamers. The idea is you just scoop it into your coffee. You can stir it. You can froth it. You can put it in a blender. You can add it to your smoothie instead of milk and then use the powder and water. Um, but really easy to use. There's no right or wrong way. There's no like overdosing on the mushrooms and adaptogens. Mm-hmm. There's no underdosing. You know, you'll still feel good from a little bit. Um, and it's these are powdered milk creamers, so they're they're creamy. Um, they're not they don't have a chalkiness like um, protein powder does because we don't add any you know pea protein or any other weird stuff. Um, they're it's literally our milks just dried into a powder. I don't know if you can do this, but I'm gonna throw a tough question at you. If you had to give a ratio of like the nutrient profile of Good Milk Co versus a like. I hope they don't sue me, but like nut pods, <laughs> what would you say is the difference between the nutrient profile of your product versus other conventional popular products at the grocery store? Yeah. So I would say there's a layer that's really confusing in food um, and that's the processing layer. And there's mm-hmm. not a label that tells you how it is processed. So similar to what we were talking about with dairy, um, plant-based milks get one, the fact that they use very few nutrient, like real food ingredients. So we use six times the real food ingredients, um, which is an easy way to kind of tell the difference. If you look at any other brand of almond milk, you'll see there's one gram of protein where ours has six grams of protein. So you have um, to imagine they're not using that many almonds. <laughs> three, three almonds per cup. Wow. <laughs> um, um, yes. So that one alone, like it is, is very different. But then as we talked about with dairy, the processing kill any of the actual nutrients in there kills them. And a lot of these milks are fortifying, but there's a, a whole rabbit hole we could go down with, with fortified um, vitamins and how your body responds to them. Um, so I would say if you like nut pods, because it's creamy and you like the taste, great. If you like something like nut pods because you think you're getting a bunch of nutrients and you're doing something healthy for yourself, that's that's not the case, um, you know. And that's where the processing of what we do became really important to me because I wanted the end product to actually be something that could have a positive impact on your health. So, would something like Good Milk Co. be considered processed? It's like minimally processed. I I'm always curious about this. Like last night, I did a grocery store haul and it would look like I have so much packaged processed food in my cabinet right now. But if you look at the ingredient label, it's all like whole foods. There's no. So I've been thinking like, all right, well, then is this considered processed or on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like the most processed thing you can find? Where are we? Where are we at? Really great question. We did. Um we did a blog article. We definitely posted on social media recently, but there's a couple different levels. So there's like raw, raw foods, which are, you go and you grab the apple. That's obviously a raw, completely unprocessed food. It was picked from the tree, 
then you're grabbing it and eating it as is. Um, the next level is like lightly processed. I think, I think it's called, and that is, um, something that's, there's not really much processing done to it, but it's like maybe frozen for, um, extended shelf life. I'm trying to think of what else, like pureed, um, you know, something that is like not its its original state, but also doesn't have any like chemical processing or done. It's just like one step past its original state. Another one I've been seeing a lot of is like strawberry essence instead of um, s- strawberry flavor. Yeah. It's actually really interesting. They like heat it up and they, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but they heat it up and they like essentially take the steam, which has like the compounds and the flavor. And so it's like, it's a natural way of infusing flavor from the real food into the product and not using artificial or natural flavors. Yeah. Well, we just, so let me finish the the processing and then we can go on to artificial. Yeah. artificial <laughs> um, um, so, you know, lightly or, or barely processed is kind of where, where our products fit in. Um, then there's processed foods, which, you know, is there's like some kind of chemical in there, some kind of some, some it broken down in some kind of chemical way or something that like you wouldn't be able to do at your house, you know, with your, your own equipment. And then there's ultra processed foods, which are the most dangerous and actually what most um, plant-based milks fall into. They're mm. high, high, highly processed fats, highly processed added sugars, the base itself is highly processed, um, and then have a bunch of chemicals in them. Um, So there's a few different levels. And just because it comes in a package doesn't mean it's necessarily a processed food, but it does, it, it would be altered from its original state in some way. But, you know, you can use common sense if it's frozen, if it's frozen berries. Okay, cool. You, you can make sense of how it got to that state. Mm -hmm. Um, Versus some other things like a liquid sitting on a shelf, not being refrigerated. You probably have no idea why or how that works. Yeah. And actually those flash frozen organic berries are usually better for you than the fresh berries because they get transported and um, the ones that are fresh, they, they heat up, they cool down. It changes the actual nutritional profile of the berry. Well, and the frozen ones, they can pick them right when they're ripe versus pre-picking them and then letting them ripen mm-hmm. off the vine. So they get more nutrients from the tree or the vine um, and then are frozen right away. So yeah, you're absolutely right. So what is the, what is the label then for Good Milk Co? We, I mean, that's a good question. So out in the world, I guess it would be lightly processed. It would be that first step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because we are turning nuts into a milk and freezing it. Um, but we're the process we're doing is exactly the same that you would do at home. We just do it on a much scale to make homemade milk. Um, you know, we use the word homemade a lot because I think that's the easiest translation. Like, hey, if you've made homemade milk, watched a video on it, that's what we do. We just have much, much bigger equipment and then we freeze it real quick so that we can get it to you in that state. That's great. And I mean, yeah, I would absolutely drink almond milk that I make by myself at my house because I trust what's going into it. And so I can trust that product as well because it's following those same practices and probably doing it a lot better than I could do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it's, you know, as easy as it is, we we hear a lot of stories like I just couldn't get it right or couldn't do it. Um, and so we're happy to be a simple solution to that. You mentioned your blog and I did check out your blog and you guys had some great articles. Um, Two that really caught my mind were, of course, around the natural flavors. Are natural flavors actually good for you? I don't think that was the actual title, but, you know, around there. And then there was one on dipotassium phosphate. You had an article about that. So I wonder if you could just give us like a high level. You've got just such a breadth of wisdom and knowledge about all of this and the ingredients that are found in those conventional um, dairy milks and alternative milks. So I'm curious what your thoughts are around natural flavors and the dipo, dipo, dip, dip potassium phosphate. Is <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So yeah, natural flavors. It's a, it's very confusing, right? Cause it has the word natural in front of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that really means is that it has to originate from like a plant or animal. It has to be the original source. What that doesn't tell you is that they can then change it into a chemical compound and 
in order to get to that, that flavoring, that natural flavoring. So um, I joked on my personal page, um, we didn't share it on, on the good milk that my favorite natural flavor comes from the anal glands of beavers. Um, because that is is the one I tell all of my friends about. I'm like, do you know what raspberry natural flavoring is? (laughs) Um, When you trace them back, they're just very weird things. And then they are, you know, there's the same chemical, like the the same chemicals that are in um, artificial flavors, the most popular ones are used in natural flavors. So at the end of the day, when it comes to nutrition, there is not a huge difference. And they've just made it very confusing for, for people. Even my mom like recently was like, well, how can it say natural if it's not good for you? I'm like, oh, okay, mom, <laughs> let me break this down for you. Well, just because it's coming from a be- beaver's anal gland, does it mean that's something that you really want to consume? Yeah. Think if you had the real details, you would not want that. But natural flavors are much cheaper than real food ingredients. Um, and so that's why they get used so much. And they're in most of the alt milks on the market. It's, you know, one of the, one of the last ingredients, but it's in there. Um, and you, and they don't have to disclose like what natural flavor it is to, you know, there's hundreds of compounds that it can be, and you just have no idea what it is. I was just imagining like tasting just natural flavor by itself and like, would I do that? And the answer is no. So why would I want it in any of my food? Yeah. And then dipotassium phosphate is used. um, It's an acidity regulator. So it's used in a lot of barista blends um, that they want to go into coffee and um, be able to mix in in well with acidic coffee. Um, And it's one that's like kind of easy to glaze over on the ingredient label because you're like, what the heck is that word? Don't know. Don't, don't, not going to look into it. Um, But it's another chemical compound. And when you look it up, it's like, it's fine in small doses. But when you go back to that, it's like, what? (laughs) It's fine in small doses. But is that something I still really want to be consuming? And what, what's a small dose? If I'm having an oat milk latte, you know, a grande oat milk latte every single morning from Starbucks and it has dipotassium phosphate in it. Like where do, where do I hit the dose where it's, it's not okay anymore? I don't think they could even give you an answer because everyone's detoxification abilities are different. Like some people cannot handle fillers and emulsifiers and any of that in their food. It's an allergy that they have. And they say that may, you know, contribute to the increased cases of ADHD and just conditions we see in children these days is these fillers and emulsifiers and they, your immune system doesn't know what they are. And so your immune system overreacts. Um, And so some people, you know, can't have dipotassium phosphate at all. And others, their detoxification system is a champ and can get rid of it, but it's just going to be different across the board. Well, and there's no one really to fund the research on the other side, right? So food companies want to fund research to say these things are okay. They're fine for you. Like they're maybe even good for you. Um, But there's no one really on the other side to fund research saying, hey, actually we did a study and after 20 lattes, this no longer becomes good for you. There just isn't the money out there for those studies. So that's why when you Google it, there's not a ton of information. And it's, I think it goes back to kind of our number one mission is like, let us give you the information so you know, and then you can make the choice for yourself versus feeling, you know, unempowered and just grabbing what's in front of you and maybe suffering the consequences later down the road. Yeah. I mean, you and I could probably have another hour podcast talking about the food lies that (laughs) big food companies feed us. Um, That's actually a book I've read, Feeding Us Lies. Um, And you're right. You know, you and I are the type of people that would would want that study of like how much of this is actually bad for you. And neither of us can fund that. And that's why those big food corporations, they can fund it to back up the ingredients that they're putting in their drinks and they can pay a lot of people off to get the result they want. Yeah. And the thing that's hard to like reconcile that is like, as now a food maker myself feeding strangers products, it's like, how do you not feel a sense of responsibility? Um, You know, one, it maybe it would be different if you were super upfront giving people the information and they're still making that decision. Cool. That's on them. But when you're purposely manipulating data and you know, making the front of the package say things or in ads, I had gone through um, a phase where I hadn't watched TV for like a few years. Like I I hadn't watched like TV with commercials. 
and I was on a flight um, like two years ago, flying home from seeing my family and it was like Delta or something and they had regular TV. And so I was just like zoning out watching it while I was on my flight and there were commercials. And I just had a, where I re- had a moment where I was like, whoa, I'm so out of touch on this food stuff because I haven't been watching these commercials. But of course people think these like yogurts or snacks or different things that they're marketing are healthy for their kids because that's what these commercials are telling them. So they see the commercials, they get to the store, they have their kids with them or they're in a hurry. No one wants to spend a ton of time in the grocery store. They're not flipping over the package to look at it or taking the time to think. It's like, cool, I saw in that commercial that this has vitamin C in it. So it's good for my kids. Let me stock up on it. And it's like, it's so confusing to be a consumer. And when you're that person in the food company making those decisions, it's just like, and you know, you, you know, when you're making these foods, you, you know what they do, what they are. Um, mm-hmm. I just can't imagine making, consciously making a decision to put a product out there that could harm people's health. And then, we, you know, we can have a whole other conversation about how they target poor neighborhoods and poor communities um, with these like highly, highly processed, dangerous foods to sell more. Um, it's the food system is incredibly broken and, it's going to be a long, long haul before it's fixed, but the fix is going to come from consumers educating themselves and then demanding better. And, you know, hopefully we can be a tiny little piece of helping to nudge people in that direction and make it easier for them, make them understand like, whoa, real food can taste really good. It can actually improve my life. And, you know, there's something to this. Yeah. And I think it's important too. you mentioned vitamin C. And I think a lot of people, if they do flip over the label or they see that, you know, like vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin C, they're like, oh, it's healthy. It's got all the vitamins in it. Great. My kid will get his or her vitamins really fast, but it's not a food source vitamin. It's like ascorbic acid. And so those types of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, fortified vitamins in your food, they react differently in your body than actual vitamins that you're receiving from a whole food source, like an orange. The vitamin C in an orange is going to be different than ascorbic acid in a cereal. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and most of those foods too, the first or second ingredient is like cane sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, Which just like ruins it. Just (laughs) it's already terrible. Just throw it out. (laughs) Exactly. Um, before we get to the quick hit questions and kind of wrap this up about how people can get their hands on Good Milk Co. and all the products you have coming out, I did um, also just want to hit on sprouted um, nuts and seeds because I saw on your website that you do sprouted and that is so crucially important for a lot of people to understand why sprouted nuts and seeds are are easier for your body to digest and just a better practice. So why is that important for your business? Yeah, thank you for asking. That's such an underrated topic. Um, and like, I can't wait to the day where it is a bit more in the forefront. But for us, it was really important. One for me coming from having di- digestive issues, I wanted products that were really easy to digest. We actually hear people say all the time, like, oh, I'm allergic to almonds. And then they have our almond milk. And they're like, oh, actually, <laughs> like, I'm not having an allergic reaction to this. Um, and it's because they're soaked and sprouted. Um, but you know, imagine the the way that I like to describe it is Imagine taking a a nut or seed when you soak and sprout it, you're literally like releasing the the energy that for it to start growing into a tree. So imagine taking an all a tiny little almond and you're soaking and sprouting it and you get a little tail that would be the start of a freaking tree, an almond tree. <laughs> so you're it's a whole different one nutrient profile, but the energy of that food is incredibly different because that almond's preparing itself to grow into a massive, super strong almond producing tree, which I think is like the coolest and, and simplest way to look at it. You can say like it's more nutrient dense, it's better for digestion, but like you're literally eating something that is is prepping to grow into a massive, strong, beautiful tree. And that's way better than, uh, you know, um, pasteurized or roasted almond that's essentially dead. Mm-hmm. Well, roasted almonds also, it drives me freaking nuts when I'm looking for trail mix, because if you turn it around, yeah. they're just like covered in refined vegetable oils. And you're like, <laughs> you want to know the other hard thing about trail mix or buying nuts out of the store is there are um, no rules around labeling the word raw. So Mm. um, 
you actually, so we source all of our almonds from um, Italy because you cannot buy raw California almonds. Um, The California Board of Almonds has banned farmers from selling raw almonds. So if you go to any store, but specifically one that I hear a lot um, is, you know, Trader Joe's sells those bags of raw almonds, not raw. (laughs) How can they put that on the label? How is that allowed? There's no rules around it. Um, I had someone from the health department tell me that to my face years ago. Um, they, when we were selling the um, the fresh product, they were talking to us about pasteurizing it, and I was like, "No, they wanted us. We were sorry, we were sourcing almonds from a local farmer um, who was giving us raw because we were buying direct from him, and we were so stoked to be buying local California almonds." And um, the health department came. They're like you can't be using raw California almonds. And we're like, what do you mean? They're the ones who like kind of told us about the rule. And I was like, wow, that's such a bummer. Like we're a huge account for this farmer. You know, this is going to hurt him trying to make a living for himself. And the woman looked me like right in the face and was like, oh, we'll just have him pasteurize them. And I was like, no, no, no. Like we, we sell, it's like raw sprouted milk. That's kind of what we do. And she's like, well, you can still call it raw. There's no rules around that. I... I was like, okay, cool. No, noted where you, where you stand. Um, yeah, you're like, great. You and I are going to be best friends. Dinner tomorrow night, we definitely align on our values. <laughs> yeah, and that's when we started sourcing um, from Italy because in oh, Italy, Italian and, and Spanish and even Australian almonds, um, you can you can get raw. Uh, so crazy. Man, we could go down so many rabbit holes for so much longer, but we do need to start wrapping this up. So I know that the oat milk is coming out and you have the um, variations with the mushroom and adaptogens coming out. What else is in store for Good Milk Co.? Gosh, we have a whole fun roadmap of products that my team like kind of holds me back on because I get really excited about <laughs> R&D. Um, but the, the, our newest products that are launching the activated creamers, I'm really excited about. It's just an easy way for people to one, incorporate good milk into their morning and kind of like upgrade whatever their routine is, but also to get introduced to these adaptogens and mushrooms in a really easy, accessible way and like start to feel a difference from them without like having to taste them or like having it be some some weird thing. Um, so the, that product, those two products, the Super Oat Activated Creamer and the Almond Activated Creamer, I'm really excited about. I am too. I'm going to order a ton of good milk co as soon as we get off this call. Um, but I do have some quick hit questions for you. So the first one is, what does having a clean body mean to you? Yeah, I think being being conscious about what you're putting in and and on your body and, and being comfortable with that and being comfortable in those moments where you make a decision that's not so clean and knowing that everything else you're doing is supporting that decision. What are some other health um, and wellness habits you have either in your diet or lifestyle that you just couldn't live without? Uh, Green juice is a big one for me, especially in the summer, green juice every day. Um, And then I have a pretty um, gnarly like bedtime skin routine. (laughs) And like sleep, like bed, like it sets me up for the skin, but also like to get into the zone to like have a good night of sleep. Oh, sleep is so important. I love sleep so much. <laughs> I could sleep probably right now. Uh, and last quick hit question for you. What other brands are you loving? Yes. Um, there's just, I mean, it's such a fun time to be a founder in food because there's so many cool brands um, up and coming. And I'm like a big one for not wanting to compromise like the taste and experience. Um, there's a brand, an ice cream brand that I really love called Dream Pops that makes super clean mm coconut-based ice creams. Um, I have a girlfriend that's doing a really cool line of adaptogens and superfoods called Apothecary. Um, there's, gosh, there's so many good ones. I My best friend makes um, clean ingredient candles. It's called Apothen um, LA. And she makes soy wax candles with essential oils. And like, I don't go a day without lighting one of her candles. Um, it's a really fun time to be an entrepreneur and have friends that are making cool things. 
It is. It's so insane. I have so much fun going to the grocery store. I'm always there for like two hours, just like reading labels. I'm like, oh, got to try this. Got to try that. Like just come home with so many things. Yeah. It's a good thing when you're putting more things in your cart than you have to put back on the shelf because they're not approved. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, shoot. Got to go back to the produce aisle. I've been here for a while, but (laughs) thank you so much. How can everyone get their hands on Good Milk Co. and engage with you and with the brand? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, website is the best place. We ship nationally um, to your door. You can get the frozen or powder very easily. Um, if you want to, you know, we educate a lot and put a lot of information on our social media. And that's at Good Milk Co. G-O-O-D-M-Y-L-K-C-O. Website is goodmilk.co. Awesome. I will put all those links in the show notes to the website, the products, the social media, pretty much everything we've talked about in this episode. But I so appreciate you. And you are such a pioneer um, and a badass woman. So thank you for doing what you're doing. And I can't wait to see Good Milk explode. I just think 10 years from now, everyone's going to be using these six times healthier powdered um, (laughs) milk alternatives. And I'm very excited for it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And we can't succeed without people like you helping us share our message and helping to educate consumers on the need for products like these. So really appreciate it. Hi again. I hope you enjoyed that interview. As a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care from a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it is not a replacement for medical or other health-related services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified practitioner. We'll see you next week.